Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Hi, everyone, and welcome to week two of the Non-Diet Resolution Challenge Your Change. So I'm really excited to have Wendy McCallum back on the podcast. She was with us last uh, year talking about burnout and balance. And I wanted to invite her to be part of this kind of resolution revolution to talk about alcohol and challenging, not just our beliefs, but, you know, challenging just the conversations that we have around alcohol in January. Dry January is really popular. Um, And just kind of challenging that change and what we think we know and, you know, whether or not our habits and even just the habits that we change are serving us um, in the way that we think they are. So the other reason I want to talk about alcohol. So welcome. Well, welcome, Wendy. Let's start with that. <laughs> Hi, Jen. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. So you you work with alcohol and women and women in midlife a lot. And this topic of alcohol comes up so much in the work that I do. One, because women in midlife, especially in menopause, find that alcohol is a trigger for their physical symptoms. So, you know, things like sleep disruptions and hot flashes and night sweats, but also anxiety and mood. And I know that you talk a lot about the problem of alcohol in women in midlife and how, especially during the pandemic, women's usage has increased and changed and how that, um, you know, is affecting us kind of as a group, but also on individual levels. But an interesting conversation that often comes up in the intuitive eating work that I do is how do we bring that into that conversation? So if we're learning to think about alcohol in an intuitive way, and when we're trying to learn to be intuitive eaters, how do we reconcile that? Because alcohol is different. It's not something we need to survive, but food is. So tell us a little bit about kind of your experience about working with women in midlife and alcohol and and maybe some of the changes that might be coming up for them at this time of year. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about the intersection, I think, between midlife and um, midlife burnout and hormones, like how all of that, oftentimes that's the perfect storm for women. And The, the fourth thing that kind of gets added to that conversation regularly is uh, is an increased reliance on an unhealthy coping mechanism, whether that be food or alcohol or something else. Um, so what I see in, the, in my private practice with the women I work with who are largely very successful professional women who are in burnout is that a lot of them are also finding themselves relying on alcohol too much. So alcohol has become that coping mechanism um, that you know, maybe at some point in their lives was not problematic and served them, but at some point the scales tipped. And very often, like I said, that happens in midlife because it's Mm -hmm. really, there's so much accumulated stress through, usually through our thirties and into our early forties around, um, all of our various responsibilities, um, whether that be, you know, career, child raising and rearing, looking after aging parents or all of those things. Um, and so that intersection often leads to this, uh, this increased reliance on, on alcohol. So, um, 
On top of that, as you said, in the last couple of years, we have increased all of the increased stress and pressure of the pandemic. The fact that women are have been home a lot more than they were before. There's um, sort of an additional like level of responsibility that has been placed on many um, parents in particular, which is uh, making sure their kids are getting schooled properly if they're in and out of online classrooms and, you know, that kind of thing. And we know statistically that that has led to a significant increase in drinking across the board, but definitely in women. So there has been a significant spike in a couple of areas that are really relevant. One in um, binge drinking, for women and two in um, uh, alcohol-related liver disease, Mm -hmm. especially in young women. Um, So, you know, it's it's definitely an area of challenge for a lot of women in midlife. And I do want to be really clear, Jen, we're not talking here, I'm not talking anyway, um, necessarily about someone who identifies as an alcoholic or whose drinking even looks problematic from the outside. Mine certainly did not. Um, we're talking really, and I think this is the test that matters really, is like, how are you feeling about your relationship with alcohol? How are you feeling about your drinking? Is it, you know, is it, does it feel good to you or is it starting to bother you? Are you starting to get some anxiety around it? Are you looking to cut back? Um, might your life be better with less alcohol in it? Those are really the questions that matter here. And if the answer is yes to that last question, then I think it's worth taking a look into. So I don't know if that, I hope that answered your question. I'm not sure if I did. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, so it's January and uh, dry January has become a very popular thing for people to do. And, you know, I often hear people say in December, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take a break in January. I'm going to do dry January. But I often find that it's, um, you know, they're, they're planning to take the break but they're also planning to stop the break. It's almost like it's a goal. It's something that they're trying to accomplish. And they're really focused on the outcome instead of the process. And, um, you know, I always say that, you know, I still enjoy alcohol from time to time, but because of my menopausal symptoms, it really self-selected its way out of my life and any kind of frequency. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was really paying attention to that process of it. You know, it's not serving me in the way that it did when I was 20. It's not actually helping me me sleep more. It's not actually helping me relax. I might enjoy it with dinner every now and then, but it's certainly not something that I'm going to choose to have regularly. And so by making that change, I was able to see that, you know, that it was the process of change that I really needed to pay attention to and not the outcome of having less of it. Whereas when people are kind of focused on that dry January, they're really kind of focused on taking a break. And so to your point of, well, why do you feel like you need to take a break? That would be the change that I would challenge with anything, whether it's a break from dieting, whether it's a break from, um, you know, alcohol, or whether it's a break from some other kind of stressor. So if people are trying to think about, okay, what can I change and what can I start to look at instead of just reaching that goal, what would be some of the questions that they might be able to ask themselves? Yeah, this is such a great question. So the first thing I want to say is in terms of the outcome, I think it's one of the most, the biggest and most impactful changes you can make and and challenge yourself to do is to not assume that you know what the outcome is going to be. So we make assumptions, especially around alcohol, we make assumptions that it's going to be very hard, that we're going to feel deprived, that we will be giving something up and that we will want it back in our lives after the 30 day break, for example. I encourage everyone I work with to really work hard at at 
changing that perspective, which takes work, and to really opening themselves up to the possibility that they actually don't know how this is going to turn out and they don't know how they're going to feel. Because, you know, it's like anything else. If you go into it assuming it's going to be hard and it's going to suck, it's going to be hard and it's going to suck. But if you go into it thinking, I actually don't know. I don't know what my life will be like without alcohol. It's been an awfully long time since I've taken more than a couple of days off of drinking or a week off of drinking or whatever the case is for you. I don't know what might improve, but I'm open um, to experimenting with this and really trying to learn as much as I can about what my life is like without alcohol. So some of these, you know, positive changes that you were talking about that you've noticed. So I think the first step is change your assumption in terms of the outcome. So it's almost like you just want to ditch the, ditch the outcome, the idea of the outcome period, just leave it open-ended. I don't know how I'll feel because of course, if you go into it, knowing or thinking to yourself, this is going to be really hard and suck and all the rest of it. It's not going to be very much fun for the month, but you're probably also going to be thinking the entire time, I can't wait to have a drink when this is over, right? Whereas if you go into it with the with that more experiment, experimental mindset, as I said, you have a much greater chance at the end of it of saying like, am I really, do I really want to reintroduce this? Is this really serving me? Might it make sense for me to keep doing this for a while? Um, and and of course, that is that's what can potentially lead to some really lasting, meaningful change for you. And I want to be clear, taking time off of alcohol is always helpful and meaningful. It's always a great thing to give your body a break from alcohol. So a 30-day break is better than no break at all, for sure. It's it's a great thing for, you know, all of the systems in our body that are impacted by the, the, the drug that is alcohol, right? But at the same time, if we're talking about meaningful, lasting change, a lot of the problems that come from alcohol, so the stuff that you know, women notice that is that are the negative impacts of alcohol um, are not served that well by a 30-day break, if that makes sense. Like yeah. you really need to change your habits for the longer term in order to, to reap those benefits, if that makes sense. So that's the first thing. And then the second question, I think the second piece of that that you asked is what, sh- what can we focus on um, in terms of, you know, challenging the change and thinking about this differently? And I think... Um, one of the, you know, other than like, what am I getting out of this? So really focusing in on the benefits, starting to reframe it. So instead of it coming from a place, this place of deprivation, like I'm gonna have to give this thing up for a month, I need to take a break. Um, what am I getting from this? So what, what are the, what are the benefits of this? What am I noticing? And really start paying attention. How's my sleep? Is that improving? Am I waking up feeling more rested? How's my mood? Am I less cranky? Am I noticing my hot flashes are, um, less? Uh, am I noticing, you know, that I'm, um, uh, my, my symptoms of PMS have, have, you know, are, are lesser. Um, and, you know, do I have better energy? Is my brain fog, fog cleared? Am I, ha- am I less anxious and stressed? All of that stuff, paying attention to all of that. But then the other piece of this that is so critically important to making lasting change and really meaningful change around this is to start digging in and paying attention to the thoughts that you're having around why you need this thing. So why is it that I am telling myself right now that I want to have this drink tonight? Like what's the underlying belief or thought there? Is it, oh, I've had the hardest day. This is going to, you know, I deserve this. Like I've worked really hard today and I've had no time for myself. I deserve this. This is such a common thing for really busy women is to get to the end of the day and realize I've done absolutely nothing for myself today. And this is my thing. And I'm going to do that for me. It was like, it was like holding up a white flag to my family. When I poured that glass of wine, I'd put my pajamas on at the same time. And I was sending a very clear message. I am off duty. There will be no more mothering. Leave me alone. And so is that what's going on in your brain? And, 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 you know, and if so, (laughs) 
how can you get that exact same result <laughs> through a different tool that or strategy that actually serves you better so that doesn't have these negative consequences to it that you've been that you've been noticing um so really challenging those underlying beliefs there are so many i mean we believe alcohol helps us to cope that we need it to have fun that it is you know we need it to relax that it helps um it helps us with social relationships um so many beliefs around why we need alcohol in our lives and i think the most impactful thing we can do is really get curious with it. Instead of assuming we know the answers to these things, op again, opening our brain up to the possibility that we don't know and that we might find out some really revelatory stuff through the course of an experiment. Yeah. In the course of doing all that, Jen, it's so important to stay in self-compassion. I know this is such a big piece of the work that you do around food. It's so important in this experiment mindset to see it as just that, an experiment. We don't know how it's going to go. Some days are probably going to be easier than others. There might be a day where you drink when you had told yourself that you were not going to drink. Um, instead of beating yourself up over that, try to lean into that and say, okay, this is an opportunity for me to learn. This is all part of the experiment. What did I learn from the drinking that happened last night? Did it actually accomplish the thing that I believed it was going to accomplish? Did it help me to relax? Did it help me to cope? Um, and don't just think about that in the short term, you know, couple of hours that you were drinking. Play that tape forward all the way to the next day. How am I feeling about this today? Am I feeling more relaxed about my life today because I drank last night? Or are the problems that were causing me stress still here, but now I'm dealing with them and I'm like foggy-headed, cranky, and beating myself up at the same time, right? Yeah, I think that that whole idea of not focusing on the goal, right? So when often when people do, you know, what is it, January and October, the two months that people try, sober October, dry January, again, it's kind of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like white knuckle my way through, you know, this is something I'm going to accomplish. But they're so focused on getting to that end point and rewarding themselves for doing that, that they're not paying attention to, you know, what's coming up in all those moments that is, you know, where I think that I need or want or should choose alcohol. And it's the same with food. You know, when we're, when I'm talking to people about emotional eating and emotional hunger and, you know, how do we change your relationship with food? It's, we need to figure out the, what's happening in the moment. So I try not to use the term emotional eating because I think it has such a negative connotation and it labels the behavior, but I focus more on emotional hunger because that really tells us that there's a need that needs to be met. And I think it's the same with any coping, you know, mechanism that yeah. we have. We, you know, if we're just focused on changing the response, we're not going to end up changing the trigger. And so we have to really kind of get curious about all of that. And, you know, and, yeah. and especially I think with something like alcohol, which, you know, I had someone last week who who described it this way. She said, I think that, um, because again, this conversation around alcohol and intuitive eating comes up so much that, you know, she said, I think that what happened is that when my kids were young, it was the only accessible coping tool I felt like I had because I couldn't leave the house after seven. I couldn't see my friends, you know, for movie night the way that we used to do. And, you know, my husband and I were exhausted and we were just, you know, in parenting mode and work mode. And so I think that, you know, those habits start out, like you said, you know, really innocently, but then they just become part of that automatic response to, you know, stress and needing a moment to ourselves. And in intuitive eating, we do something that's called practice not reacting, which is when we can identify the trigger, we can just press pause. We don't actually decide in that moment 
how we're going to react. We're just pressing pause to be able to sit with the moment and see if we can actually like label the feeling. Like, do I need a break? Do I need to be entertained? Do I need like to relax? And if we can just even like tune into that, if we can just call it out, I think that that helps us to choose differently in whatever the circumstance is. And, you know, instead of just falling into that default programming. Yeah, absolutely. We use a similar tool. So I use the tool, it's called HALT, which is uh, an acronym that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's just the best, you know, first of all, obviously the word HALT says pause, stop, don't react. (laughs) Um, Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Probably four of the most common reasons why why women drink um, or feel a, get a craving or an urge. So the, again, those are unmet needs. Like what, what's the need here? And then it, it's more complicated than that. Obviously yeah. there are lots of nuanced emotions. And the first thing that I'm, you know, always trying to really reinforce with women is that emotions are totally natural, normal, and necessary there. It's a biochemical response to a thought. We have them. We're meant to have them. We're built for them. So you can have an emotion and not fall apart. In fact, learning how to feel emotions and not judge them and process them is a critical part of reducing your reliance on any unhealthy coping mechanism. So that's a big piece of all of this, but I love that idea of, of pausing and, um, and actually asking yourself, what did it, what do I actually need right now? Because it is never alcohol. That's the truth with booze. Like it's never (laughs) alcohol that you actually need in that moment. Um, And there's a difference between need and want, obviously. Um, But if alcohol has become problematic for you, and again, the real, really the only test for that is like, how's it making me feel? You know, am I thinking about this all the time? Am I thinking maybe I should be drinking less? Because if you're even asking the question, am I drinking too much? That's a sign that this is worth doing some work around because it's starting to take up mental space. The other piece, Jen, that we haven't talked about that's really important, you know, in terms of a distinguishing factor, I think, between alcohol and food, for example, is that we build a tolerance to alcohol. Mm -hmm. So your client that you were talking about who started drinking a glass of wine, you know, as a nighttime reward sounds exactly like me. That's what I did in my 30s. I had two babies seven months apart, made partner at a law firm at the same time. Like, it it was chaos. I had no time to myself except that 15 minutes where I sat still and drank a glass of wine um, basically before I went to bed, right? So I get that um, that it, it, as a, you know, just an easy, accessible coping mechanism or, or just a reward, really, because at that point, it's, it's not even really a coping mechanism. It's just a chance to stop yeah. and give yourself something, right? Um, it's really misguided self-care. That's the truth of it. It starts off that way, right? Um, and then what happens though is if we are having that glass of wine most nights in you know between the ages of like 32 and 37 if you're me by the time you get to the age of like 36 37 one glass doesn't make you feel the way it used to make you feel it doesn't give you that same feeling of relaxation or whatever it is that you're craving and you need more and that's because we our body gets better at getting rid of the toxins so we build we get more efficient which means we need more to feel the same way. So I think it's important to, you know, let women know that too. Like, this is not your fault. If you are struggling with alcohol, if you feel like you're drinking more than you want to be drinking, this is a substance problem, not a user problem. Yeah, Alcohol is a very addictive, problematic drug in society, and we don't label it as that. We separate it from other drugs. We talk about drugs and alcohol as though alcohol is not a drug. It is a drug. It's the most dangerous drug out there on the dangerous drug spectrum. 
It causes more deaths than all the other drugs combined. Like, it's it's crazy, but we're just not talking about it that way. So I'm not saying that to, you know, as a scare tactic. I'm saying that to say, like, if you're struggling with it, of course, of course yeah. you are. It's a tough one. Um, but I think the things that we're talking about are, you know, really important when it comes to how to start thinking about making change. And I love the whole, maybe not 30-day break. You know, maybe think of it as something bigger picture than that and lo- and a little longer term than that. Because you and I both know that you we don't make change very effectively in 30 days. That's not very much time for the human brain to create new neural pathways, um, especially around something as, um, you know, pervasive and problematic as a, a drug like alcohol. So it takes, it takes a while to, to, to rewire and to, to really, um, even undercover un- uncover some of these beliefs that we're talking about that are keeping us stuck in this, this habit. So, you know, and the other thing that I see happen sometimes, Jen, is people, and I certainly was guilty of this, um, before I, I stopped drinking, I've been alcohol free now for about four years, but before I stopped drinking, I would take a 14 day break. I would do a cleanse and that would then be the evidence for why I didn't need to do anything more because I would say, okay, I could take a break. I can take it or leave it. I can stop for 14 days. But of course, by like, you know, the third day, I'm counting down the days until the 14th day so that I can drink again. So oftentimes we use these short-term breaks as almost, um, you know, evidence for the fact that we, that this isn't a problem. And again, it's the wrong, it's the wrong way to assess whether there's a problem. The only thing that matters is how it's making you feel. And again, that's focused on the behavior that's changing. It's not focused on what's triggering the desire, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think your point about alcohol being an addictive substance and about people building tolerance to it, it's important to distinguish that from food because, again, we need food. We need to make decisions about food every single day of our life. And despite all of the talk about food addiction and sugar addiction, that's not actually been proven. And the main, one of the big reasons why is that the withdrawal effects that people get from not having sugar um, are not on par with the withdrawal effects that people can experience with an addiction like alcohol. And, you know, so when we, you know, when people are talking about taking a break from whatever substance, I think it's important to recognize that with alcohol, there is absolutely a drug effect that's happening with foods, most of the evidence points to the restriction of the foods as actually causing the craving. So, you know, I think that it's it's important that when we're talking about that, that we make sure that there is a, a pretty big difference there. And so, but the point is that, that if you're using anything as a coping tool and it's not helping you or it's not serving the, you in the way that it used to or that you want it to, that, you know, you can really challenge that change of what you need to do to change it. It doesn't, maybe for some people, it's complete avoidance, maybe for others, it's not, but the focusing on the behavior change isn't going to be as effective as understanding why you crave it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the perfect, it's a perfect question for, you know, to start an experiment with, Yeah, you know, and I love this idea of an experiment mindset instead of a, you know, a 30-day challenge or a 30-day break, what about a 30-day experiment or maybe just an open-ended experiment where you say to yourself, look, I actually don't know. Yeah, like, I, That's what an experiment's all about, right? Like, let's find out what happens. I don't have the answers. Let's do an experiment and see what data we can collect and what conclusions we can draw from that. So, you know, going into it with that experiment mindset, like, 
let's just see what I find out from this is far more likely to lead to, you know, you learning about the underlying reasons for the behaviors. Um, it's, you know, and, and the, I love what you're just saying about food. I, I do want to underscore that. I mean, alcohol is very, very different. For example, the longer we are away from alcohol, the lesser the cravings get. It's, it's the opposite, right? The more, the yeah. less we have alcohol, because alcohol as a drug actually perpetuates the cycle of cravings because when it's in our, when it's, we've got it in our blood and it, our blood alcohol level starts to drop, our body notices that. And there, you know, there's a neurochemical response to that. And we just want, we want more because we want to alleviate the feelings that we get with the, the withdrawal symptoms that happen just from like a glass of wine. Yeah. Right. There's this mild withdrawal. It's like uncomfortable. It's why, you know, the first 20 minutes after you have a glass of wine feel great. But then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I don't feel so great anymore. You know, I don't feel so hot. And for a lot of us, us the way that we deal with that is by pouring ourselves another glass of wine because we know that's going to bring us back up. So it's a very different it's a very different situation. So, Wendy, thank you so much for giving us so much food for thought around this. And Wendy's written a, a great blog article as well, which you can find a link to in the show notes and on my website. And you've got some great free resources on your website for people who are kind of looking to start thinking about these changes as well, right? Yeah, the, I think the the best resource for anyone who's starting to uh, question their relationship with alcohol and wants to kind of... Um, Start and launch an experiment like we've been talking about and maybe dig into some of those beliefs is the series. There's three, a three video series that I created um, that you can find at wendymccallum.com forward slash myths. Maybe you can stick that note in the yep. um, show notes. Um, but uh, the those myths videos uh, deal with the three most common reasons or beliefs women have around how alcohol serves them. So I kind of tell my own story in each of those videos and and um, and coach women through how they can start really challenging their their own belief that alcohol helps them to relax, to cope, or that they need it to have fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I hope that um, that's given everyone a little bit of, you know, just new information, maybe some of this may be new information, or just kind of getting you to think differently if you are thinking or doing a dry January, and just maybe some of the ways that you can actually look at it as an experiment instead of a goal. So thanks, Wendy, and uh, look forward to the next time we chat. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.